0: This program is brought to you by Bible Way Media, a work of the Ulaga Church of Christ. Thank you for joining me today here on Bible Studies with Russ. We're picking up today in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 21. Uh, Last time we were together, we began looking at uh, the section concerning the church at Thyatira, beginning back in verse 18. Uh, We mentioned how this is sometimes referred to as the corrupt church. And so we're going to begin, we're going to back up and read verse 18 through verse 21, and we'll pick up making our comments uh, in verse 21. So beginning in Revelation 2, verse 18, the Bible says, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as, and as for your works, the last is more than the first." Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, because you allow that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants, and to commit sexual immorality, or more correctly, fornication, and eat things sacrificed to idols. In verse 21, is what we're picking up here today. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality. Again, that's the New King, New King James translation. The correct translation of that is fornication. And she did not repent, verse 21. Uh, now again she calls herself a prophetess doesn't mean she is one going back to verse 20 uh, she seduces the Lord's servants to commit fornication she seduces and teaches the Lord's servants to think sacrifice to idols this goes back to Acts 15 verse 29 uh, Jezebel in the Old Testament was the wife of Ahab and the daughter of the king of Sidon and she was very involved in the worship of Baal 2 Kings 9 33-37 and this letter teaches us it is possible for a church to grow and have some wonderful qualities, verse 19, yet be, uh, yet be compromising with sin, Verse, as we see here. Verse 21, he says, I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality or fornication, and she did not repent. So he has called her to repent, but she didn't listen. She has gone beyond the limits of God's patience. Because God does indeed have patience. Why did the flood happen? Because God's patience with the people ran out. Their thoughts were only evil continually. Uh, why did the events during Sodom and Gomorrah, the raining fire and brimstone from heaven happen? Because God's patience with their rebellion uh, has ran out. And that's what it is. When someone refuses to repent, this isn't about somebody who's struggling, who has an addiction, and is struggling to overcome it. Not that you know, some people will slap the word addiction a lot uh, on a lot of things. But if someone genuinely is struggling, that's a big difference between those who just say, "No, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to repent. I don't. I don't see the need to repent. I'm not doing anything wrong." Uh, you know. This is the way I want to do it, and I don't see anything wrong with it. Those type of attitudes, that's completely different than those who are trying to overcome sin, who are genuinely attempting and trying, struggling, succeeding, struggling, failing, struggling, succeeding. That's a lot different than what we find here in verse 21. This person, he says here, she has given her time to repent, and she did not this wasn't she has failed and, and tried again. This is that she hasn't ever tried. This is sin. Uh, she did not repent there in verse 21. He says in verse 22, indeed, I will cast her into a sick bed and those who commit adultery with her into a great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. And so you still find God's patience and his long suffering. I mean, this is just another great example of God's long-suffering uh, this person is doing a lot of evil and yet he's still giving this individual time to repent he says in verse 22 I will cast her into a sick bed and those who commit adultery with her this is a spiritual adultery uh, will with her into a great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds as so though God's judgment will be executed in accordance with the deeds or actions of one's life you find this in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10 and also Revelation 20 and verse 12. Into a sick bed is a bed of affliction or punishment. Her meaning Jezebel, and so basically she's going to be punished. Is what he's talking about there? Tribulation is the penalty of God's judgment. Tribulation is another term that's used for persecution. Uh, unless they repent, not everyone, but not everyone, but only those practicing evil sh- uh, will uh, repent or should repent. Uh, there was still opportunity for them to change their minds. The judgment of God awaits if they do not repent, as we see here, and also as we see in Romans 14, 10 through 12, and 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10 also uh, tells us that as well. Verse 23 says, and I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he, I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give each give to each accord, each one according to your works. Verse 23 and I have some notes here uh, verse, uh, in verse 23. says, I will kill her. This is a personal responsibility. Uh, as we look here in verse 23, it is our responsibility to repent of our sins. No one could repent for her. And no one could say, oh, it's okay, you know, they're a really good person. That doesn't work. Personal responsibility here in verse 23. Uh, also, her children is a reference to her followers. So, death awaits those who follow Satan's false doctrines and immoral and sinful activities. Uh, minds or reins here in verse 23 cons- considered the seat of the emotions or feelings of passion. He says in verse 23 I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one according to your works. Uh, hearts was considered the seat of thoughts. Uh, according to your works, how can anyone teach faith only in view of this? According to your works means what have you done? How have you been living which is why, when we sin and fall short, we need to repent of it. Don't wait. Make those things right. Uh, we may we may struggle with sin at different times, but friends, we can repent of it, and do our very best to overcome it. And if we do fall short, we repent of it. This is what this is what is not happening in verse in chapter two. This individual is not repenting of their sin. Verse twenty one, verse twenty two. He will cast her into that sick bed, this bed of affliction or punishment, and so. You know, again, repent, repent, repent. Verse 24 of Revelation chapter 2. Uh, he says here, Now now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, there in verse 24. Uh, he says, As many as do not have this doctrine will, will have not known the depths of, of Satan, as they, as, as they say. I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you, what, what you have till I come. And so we find here in verse 24, it is clear that not everyone in Thyatira was, was following this false doctrine. To the rest, that is the faithful, he will not put an additional burden. Verse 25 is basically telling them to keep on doing right, to keep doing this until the Lord's return, verse 25. Uh, verse 26, and he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. Uh, overcomes and keeps my works until the end. He promises to give these power of the nations. The nations are the Gentiles. Verse 27, he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and they shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels. Uh, And so he shall rule with a rod of iron. Rule means to lay waste and devastate. Thus he will destroy. Uh, The potter's vessels, that is uh, broken, shows how God will dash in pieces. Those who fail to follow him. This is another way of saying that Christians will share in the triumph of the Lord over his enemies. Now we rule the world by our influence, Matthew five fourteen through 16. Again, we have to keep all this in mind with Scripture. Scripture does not contradict Scripture. And when we read some of these things, sometimes people say, well, we're going to rule over things, or oh, we're going to have a part in Christ's future kingdom, as they might say. But, uh, no, that's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about a physical rule in an earthly kingdom, to be more clear on that false idea. Uh, but again, uh, Christians uh, will share in the triumph of the Lord over his enemies. We will rule the world. We now will rule the world by our influence, by what we do. Matthew five fourteen 5, uh, 14 through 16, and by what we say. Uh, verse 28, And I will give him the morning star. Christ is the morning star. This is the second of two promises that are made, beginning with verse 26. So Christians will have victory over their enemies and even over death, just as Christ did. Verse 29, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So again, he stresses the importance of listening. And that brings us to the end there of dealing with uh, the church uh, there at Thyatira. Now, as we move into chapter 3, Uh, We begin looking at the church uh, at Sardis, and one heading I have here, at least in my uh, Bible app here, says the dead church. Um, Some of these labels, again, as as you have heard me say many times before, uh, can be good and bad. This one seems pretty good, as reference to this church here. So Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Now, Sardis is the capital city of Lydia and was located 35 miles south of Thyatira. The church at Sardis, like the community, was in a state of deterioration. Only Laodicea was worse than this church. Uh, The seven spirits represents the Holy Spirit and all his gifts and power. The seven stars represent the leadership of the congregation. That you have that you have a name that you are alive. There was nothing wrong with it with the name they, they wore. They were holding fast the name, defending him. But they were not spiritual or they were not very active, because he adds they are quote dead. In first Timothy five and verse six, these people say they are Christians when in reality they are not. There's often a contrast uh, between what people say and what the truth is, as we also find in John 7, verse 24. Sometimes when we have a large membership, wealth, and prominence, maybe even sound doctrine, man's evaluation is good, but what what about God's evaluation? Just because we think we are doing good, that we are uh, on the right track and doing what we should be doing, doesn't mean we shouldn't step back and evaluate and say, Maybe we need to examine and improve. You know, that's one thing that really stands out with all these churches, that he tells them some things they're doing, they're good, and then he calls them out some things they need to work on. And as a congregation, as a whole, including members, including church leaders, where they're talking about not just the preacher, but elders and deacons, so they're there, um... And many congregations do not have elders, which means the men need to decide to examine the congregation and say, where can we improve? Where are some things we've slacked off on? That's not wrong. That's good. We need to examine ourselves and the local congregation. And we have to be careful when we say these things. We don't mean examine the church and say, okay, let's start changing things. No, we mean we need to start improving. If we're not visiting as we should, start visiting. If we're not encouraging people as we should, we need to start encouraging people. If we need to... Uh, consider uh, how we're in our teaching maybe our material or or whatever it may be maybe we can do better we can always do better it doesn't matter what area we're talking about there's always room for improvement but we need to be humble when we're doing this we don't need to be those who are pointing fingers at others and saying why aren't you doing this no we need to say well this is something I should be working on something I should be doing and let others uh, hopefully feel the same way. It needs to be you know. The church is filled up of a team. It's a team effort. Uh, there's no I uh, in the work of the church. It is a we work, and so we want to work together. There's your mini sermon for today. Uh, going back to verse um, uh, verse two. Now uh, he says, "Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God." And so be watchful means be aware of what is happening strengthen the things that remain or else they will die Ephesians 5 verse 14 It was necessary that they strengthen what remains because Christ hasn't found their works perfect before God we must finish what we start it's not enough to plan and start we must finish it sometimes that we're not careful we don't get past the planning stage we talk about things maybe we don't even reach the planning stage we're really wanting to do something, we need to talk about it, we need to plan it, we need to start it, and we need to finish it. That's what we find here, this reminder here in verse 2. Looking at Revelation uh, 3 verse 3 now, the Bible says, "...remember therefore how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent, therefore if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour, uh, what hour I will come upon you." And so remember, hold fast, commands to keep on doing this. Repent, a command to do it once for all. Uh, these three verbs, remember, hold fast, and repent, reflect the only way their lives can be corrected. They need to be corrected. There's are some the things they need to work on. Remember, hold fast, and repent. And then the last phrase there in verse 3, I will come as a thief. We do not know when he will come. Luke 12:39, Matthew 24:43, But we do know that he is coming. Verse 4 of Revelation chapter 3. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. A few names is a few persons who have not defiled their garments, garments meaning their character or their life, their their way of life, with sin. They have not defiled or stained, contaminated their character with sin. They shall walk with me in white, the purity that characterizes one who has been baptized in walking with Christ. Is necessary to be faithful and morally pure in order to walk with Christ. He, he says here, "For they are worthy." This seems to mean, "For they deserve to." There is there is worthiness that comes with faithful living, in close fellowship with Christ. Few, in these indicates how uh, so li- how so little number have shown themselves worthy to be regarded as followers of the Lamb, as we also will see later in Revelation seven and verse fourteen. Revelation 3 and verse 5 says, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. And I will not blot out his name in the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. So those that overcome will be dressed in white clothes. I think this signifies purity, which also, uh, white also can signify uh, uh, festivity and victory, Matthew twenty two eleven through 13. Faithful persons' names cannot or will not be blotted out of the book of life. Christ will confess his name before the Father and the angels. There are three great promises here in verse 5. One, shall be clothed. Two, will not be blotted out. And three, I will confess his name. Those three great promises shall be clothed, will not be blotted out, and I will confess his name. Verse 6, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Another plea to listen is given here in verse 6. Now in Revelation chapter three, beginning in verse seven, we have uh, where the church is being uh, letters going to the church there at, at Philadelphia. Uh, this is sometimes referred to as the faithful church, and so beginning in verse seven of Revelation chapter three, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write these things, says he, who he these things, says he who is holy, who is true, who he who has the king key of David. He opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one open, and no one opens. So, verse seven. This city was founded. Talking about Philadelphia here uh, in 140 B.C. This city was was poor and regarded, and re, excuse me, required aid from the government to survive. This was also a volcanic and hot springs area. There is here a center of heathen worship of Dionysus, D-I-O-N-Y-S-U-S, the god of wine. The God of wine. Unbelievable, right? The gods for everything, little g. Now, uh, unlike today, we don't call them gods, but sometimes we certainly do treat certain things and uh, various other, uh, even acts as a god. And so this is their god, the god of wine. The principal opponents seem to be the Jews here in verse 7. The description of Christ, holy, meaning not contaminated with this world, true, is what is genuine and real. And so this is holiness and is this this and holiness is the essence of the character of God. Has the key of David means authority and power. He is the only one who can open the door and shut it. Only he gives admittance. No condemnation of this church is given concerning the church in Philadelphia. In verse eight, he says, I know your works, see so you I set before you an open door. No one can shut it, for you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. So this open door signifies a door of opportunity to preach and to teach. The opportunity is presented to come in and be faithful. In the same way, there is an open door to heaven to the faithful. Little strength, they have little power. They have not yet lost all strength, but they have kept his word, and they have not denied his name, Revelation 2 and verse 13. Revelation 3 and verse 9 says, says, Indeed, I I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie, Indeed, I'll make them come and worship before your feet, and to know that I have loved you. And so some of the church's greatest foes were the Jews. These hostile Jews and others who have persecuted them will one will one day be made to confess and worship at the feet of the faithful church members. They will also know that God has loved the church. This is not saying they're literally going to love or to worship them, but they're going to fall down and worship God and be what? Right beside them. That's the idea there in verse 9. Verse 10 Revelation 3 and verse 10 says, Because you have kept my command to to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world, to test those who dwell on the earth. And so the hour of trial, a time of difficulties or tribulation, these are those who have kept the Lord's word. It is wonderful to know that the Lord guards us in the hour of trial and will not allow us to be tempted above what we are able to bear. This church needed to know that the Lord would protect them, even if nothing else could. Looking at verse 11, Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. And so coming quickly, we must be constantly uh, expectant and watchful. They also had a command to hold fast. This crown, the kind of crown given when a a game uh, was won, uh, also, that game, which, which will be one, will be faithfulness to God. They remain faithful. They gain that crown, which is eternal life. Uh, verse 12, He overcomes. I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God, in the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven for my God, and I will write on him my new name. So I will make a pillar here in verse uh, 12. He says, "I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God." Each faithful person can become a pillar in the sanctuary of glory. He says, "I will write upon him the name of my of, of God." Christ's new name is His name and glory, which will which Christ writes on the one who conquers. I'll write upon him my new name. Those have been redeemed. These will go to heaven because the New Jerusalem is in heaven. Verse thirteen. He not He has an ear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so again, another plea to listen to the messages that have been given. Okay, we are going to, uh, let's see here, we have, do we have enough time to talk about the lukewarm church? Yeah, let's go and talk about the lukewarm church here. Revelation 3, verse 14, and then next, uh, we'll finish with this, and then next week, Lord willing, we'll come back with Revelation chapter 4, beginning looking at what, what some call the throne room of heaven. let's look at Revelation 3 verse 14 through 22 this being the church at Laodicea so Revelation 3 verse 14 and to the angel of the church of Laodiceans write these things says the Amen the faithful and true witness the beginning of the creation of God and so Laodicea referencing who we're talking about here uh, was located 40 miles southeast of Philadelphia it was a great banking center with considerable wealth and manufactured woolen goods. Also, had a medical center that had a remedy for weak eyes. Uh, amen. Here in the in this verse means verily or truly. Used here as a proper name in Isaiah 65 verse 16. The faithful and true witness. He is competent. The beginning of the creation of God. Christ is the creator, not a part of creation. He is the original agent in God's creative work. Uh, there is no commendation in this letter for in this letter for this church, nothing good me, no commendation uh, in this letter for the church, nothing good to say about them. so we go from one extreme to the other. Uh, verse fifteen, or so it would seem. Verse fifteen, he says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you well, could wish you were cold or hot, so then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Revelation 4:15 and 16. And this is still a common problem today, isn't it? Lukewarm people, lukewarm churches, lukewarm leadership, lukewarm preachers, lukewarm members, and on and on it goes. Right? And when you have all that, and to be honest, it only takes a couple of lukewarm people to make the church at least seem lukewarm and encourage others to become lukewarm. Because people can rub off on one another. Uh, verse fifteen, hot here means literally the boiling point. The church is not totally indifferent, nor is it fervent. It seems to be proud and complacent and insensitive to their spiritual needs. Uh, the Lord does not want to be neutral. Does not want us to be neutral or indifferent. Lack of a concern is always a problem. This attitude is sickening to Him. As you find in verse sixteen, the only, only alternative to being lukewarm is to spew them out. This is an extremely strong expression. It was an emotion of the Lord of disgust, meaning he's going to spew them out. Some translations actually say he will vomit uh, them out there, as we see in New King James, verse 16. Some will say spew. Uh, the idea there is just, you know, it's, when something is supposed to be hot and it's not hot, it doesn't. What do you do? You, ugh, you go it in a microwave or do something. If something is cold, supposed to be cold and it's warm, you go, ugh, you don't want that either, right? That's the idea here. He he looks at them, and it's, ugh. He vomits them out, verse 16, verse 17, rather. Verse 15, 16. Verse 17 says, as we look at Revelation 3, verse 17, Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. If that's not a biblical slam, I don't know what is, because it sure seems like one here. He says, oh, you think you're all this, this, and this, and really you're nothing. Here's what you really are. Um... No one can slam people and bring them back to reality like Christ or like God. Uh, Verse 17, because you say, I am rich. They believe they are rich. He says, I have become wealthy and have need of nothing. Again, they say these things, right? Here in verse uh, 17, and you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, poor, blind, and naked. Uh, Verse 17, so it is boasting the church feels secure. They they, They are rich. Uh, they feel self-sufficient, which is a very dangerous place to be, increased in good, they feel they are self-satisfied they need need of nothing they feel self-confidence again, all are dangerous things. The real condition they are wretched, they are afflicted, they had troubles they did not even realize they had miserable they were p- to be pitied. you know they go back to this wretched they had sores they didn't know or dangers they did not know you ever been doing something and realize, Oh wait a second, I'm bleeding. I cut myself somehow. You don't, you don't realize it? That's kind of the idea I think about here. They don't realize they're wretched. They don't realize they have this big, in their case, the idea is, is they have this big gaping wound and they don't even see it. Um, they are wretched, miserable. They were to be pitied. They were poor because they're, they, they are not treasures in heaven for them. There are no treasures in heaven for them at this current time because of their attitude, Matthew 6, 19 and 20. They are blind to what really was their condition and what would happen to them. Naked, they had no clothes of spirituality. They were not walking with God. They were not walking in the words of God. Uh, verse 18, he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in a fire that you may be rich and white garments white garments that you may be clothed. that The shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. Anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Verse 18, so he says, "I counsel you." means he means to quit trusting in riches and to trust in Him. Uh, looking at verse, uh, continue here. Looking at verse eighteen, buy for me gold refined in fire. This means true gold, a new understanding of what true riches involve. That you may be rich, rich in faith. They are to obtain true faith by putting their faith in Him. White garments again symbolizing purity. May not be revealed. They are to clothe themselves in white garments to hide their nakedness and to, to have their sins removed. <clears throat> Anoint your eyes with eye salve. Or salve, open your eyes to your true condition. This way you can see clearly God's way. Notice the many remedies in this verse. They're going to have to make some changes. Verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. That's what he's doing to them. Therefore be zealous and repent. Verse 19. To point out sins and to cause them to see their failures in a stark reality is an expression of love. In the chasing of the Lord is love, Hebrews 12:5 through 7 The Lord doesn't request they repent. He demands that they repent. Now when we go to people today and talk to them about their actions, we show them their actions and reveal to them from the Bible what God requires from them. You know, so many times we'd be better off if we simply allow the Bible to speak. Maybe go here and show them, but look, these people thought they had everything. Really, they didn't realize how bad they were. Let the Bible speak. It can do the job for us, friends. Looking at verse uh, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. And there were some friends who will pull this verse out of context and say, See, all you got to do is pray to God. That's not even what he's talking about. This isn't for salvation. This is for repentance. They were to return to God. He loves them. He is rebuking them. He is chasing them. Verse 20, return to me. Hear my voice. You hear my words and you come back to me. This is not a sinner's prayer. This is a prayer of a sinner. But it's not one unto salvation. It's one unto forgiveness. Verse 20, only man can open this door. This is the door of the heart. The communion will be worth it to restore what was broken. Verse 21, verse 21. To him he overcomes all grant to sit with me in the throne, as I also overcame and sit down with my Father on his throne. So a wonderful promise to those who will overcome, we can do what Christ did overcome. Verse twenty two. He who has an ear let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. For the seventh time he encourages them to listen. Some observations from these letters. The language of these letters clearly indicates the individual and personal responsibility of man to God. Each letter closes with one or more promises on the condition that they overcome. Okay, we're going to stop there today. I do thank you for being here with me. hope you have enjoyed this Bible study. hope that has been encouraging to you. I hope you join me again next time as we come back and look at Revelation chapter 4. And thank you for being here with me today on Bible Studies with Russ. We hope you enjoyed this program. We encourage you to subscribe to our podcast on Pandora, Spotify, or Podbean. Thanks for listening.